Green Street Radio is a production of Grassroots Environmental Education. Learn more about us and our programs at www.grassrootsinfo.org or follow us on Facebook at Grassroots Info and on Twitter at Grassroots E-N-V-E-D. Hello, and welcome to the Green Street Podcast. Usually on Green Street, we interview someone who is an expert in one particular area, maybe fracking or flame retardant chemicals or pesticides. But today we have a special guest who really puts it all together in a way that everyone can understand. She's the author of a book for the parents of children with life-threatening illnesses called Helping to Heal, and the recipient of the EPA's 2016 Children's Environmental Health Excellence Award. She also happens to be the co-host of Green Street, and of course, I'm talking about Patty Wood. Patty's written this this book, Helping to Heal. The book is now in how many hospitals across the country? Um, we have between three and four hundred hospitals, treatment centers, uh, support groups, as well as uh, Ronald McDonald houses. Any place where we can find parents who um, might be interested in just picking up some uh, some information. Uh, that will help them become a partner in their child's healing process. Yeah, and I understand that was the that was what got the book started. You want to tell a little bit about how you came to yeah, write this book? Yeah, so, um, so I'm not a writer, uh, but I do a lot of writing in, 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 in my work. Uh, but we had a board member of our nonprofit organization who had just recently moved into a, a neighborhood in a New York suburban community, and she was just surprised um, to find that neighbors on either side of her had children who had been diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And she met these parents who were really, really suffering and felt, you know, almost helpless that they had so little to do with um, with helping their child at, you know, at that point that they had to kind of, you know, release their child into the hands of oncologists, pediatric oncologists, as well as, uh, you know, radiation therapists and, and chemo nurses and so on. And they really felt, you know, that they were just kind of losing control a little bit mm-hmm. and hoping that, you know, you know, that um, that everything would would be OK. Uh, it's it's really important when people are in that state of mind that they have something to to actually do something to keep them busy, and if it's something that is actually going to help their child, and you know, and in this case, help their entire family um, live a, a healthier lifestyle, um, then that's then that's all good. So this this book is supportive of uh, not only supportive of health, but supportive of whatever treatment kids are going kids with cancer may be going through. Right. This well, is not- yes. I mean, you know, first of all, you have a sick child, and then second of all, you have a child who, you know, is trying to sustain the onslaught of some pretty toxic treatments uh, in in the in the form of chemo and radiation. I mean, these are really tough things for a, a little body to have to go through. And they're very toxic. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, not only is a child battling the disease, but the child is also battling the treatment for the disease. Uh, and, you know, of course, we're not saying that, that you know, that, the, that those treatments are not necessary yeah, or in say, many cases are, are very, very mm-hmm. useful, exactly, yeah. and life-saving. Um, but there are ways to support 
that that body that is being you know subjected to these uh, you know to these treatments that actually make the treatment um, or the child who's having the treatment better able to um, to go through this process. So these things make a child better able to accept um, these, you know, these treatments uh, so that they don't devastate them so much. They have fewer uh, side effects uh, when you are, you know, when you are supporting a a healthy body through some of the things that I talk about in my book. Um, and they have uh, less chance of a of a serious recurrence going forward uh, in their lives. Mm-hmm. So the book is roughly divided into two sections. There's the food that you eat, and then there's the environment in which you live. Right. right. So so you kind of about half of your book deals with nutrition and some of the things that. Uh, you know, that you recommend. Do you want to talk about about some of the healthy food choices that you recommend to parents? And Yeah, well, you know, part of the problem is that we have too many choices today. Mm. There's way too many choices when it comes to food. I mean, food is something that, you know, our body needs, obviously. Um, you know, we need the energy that we get from food without question. And then we need all those micro, you know, and macronutrients that we get from food. Um, we kind of lose track of that a lot um, today. We, we think of food as fun, especially kids' food. Um, we want food to be colorful and, you know, and we, and we want our children to eat. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. if you find something that they're going to eat and they reject everything else, you, you know, you kind of go, go with, with that. Sure. You just go with whatever it is that they're eating. And when you have a child who's seriously ill, you have to look at, you know, what is supporting their immune system? How do I get that little tiny bit of food that they're able to eat because they're feeling so sick? You know, to how do I get that food to be nutrient-dense food? And something that they will really accept and you know and and eat for for them. Um, I, I noticed in the book that almost everything you recommend has the word fresh in front of it. Yes, uh, you know, fresh vegetables and fresh fruit juices, fresh fruits, freshly made fruit sauces, things like that. It's, well, fresh is fresh is always best. And if we go a little bit further, you know, fresh, local, and seasonal is even mm-hmm. better. Um, it's actually the way we used to eat because we all used to, you know, kind of grow and, you know, put away for times when we didn't have growing plants in our in our yards and and so on. Um, put those those same foods away for the winter by pickling them or just freezing them or whatever. Um, but we, um, you know, we've gotten away from that, and so a lot of the foods, uh, especially the foods that our children eat, are not nutrient-dense foods. They're not fresh foods. They're not seasonal foods, and they're not local foods. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, our kids are just eating a lot of things that are that, that are prepackaged, uh, you know, in plastic, and they're highly processed foods that are not particularly healthy for them. The white diet. The, right? You know, yeah, it's but it's, it's and corn it's... and soy and, you know, it's just, it's stuff that's, and wheat, it's not stuff that is is giving our children those nutrients they need, especially those nutrients that children who are sick desperately need. I'm always struck by the fact that, and, and we've talked about this a little bit before, that when children are first born, 
parents are intensely interested in what their children I know. This is an amazing story. I love this story. That children, (laughs) you know, when they're first born, we're just like so just obsessed with, you know, how much... How much milk they're taking if they're if they're being nursed, or how much formula they're taking in, and then when we eventually get around to solid foods, we consult with the doctor, you know, who knows little <laughs> about you know about food usually, <laughs> but nevertheless we consult with the doctor and you know decide which our first foods should be. You know, should it be you know rice cereal? I hope not because of the arsenic you know component to that. But we talk about that, and then we you know we're just concerned about how much they're eating and, oh, he didn't eat very much at lunchtime. Let's make sure that he gets enough for dinner. And, oh, you know, he didn't eat anything for breakfast this morning. So for lunch, we got to make sure, you know, and, you know, we're just obsessed. We're obsessed. We want to make sure that this this infant, this newborn infant and this this baby, you know, that, you know, is still totally dependent on us and totally with, you know, in our care that we are doing the right thing. And then as soon as that child can walk and talk, you know, we walk him and talk him right into McDonald's <laughs> and walk him and talk him right into Burger King or, you know, Jack in the Box or whatever and get a quote-unquote happy, fun meal made up of just kind of the worst food that we could possibly feed them. I heard somebody, and, then, and that's the beginning. I heard somebody call it child abuse to take your... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, there are a lot of people who who understand that the way, you know, parents feed their children here in America is a form of child abuse. We are forgetting how important it is to feed these small, developing, rapidly developing bodies a really, really good, good, nutrient-dense diet. One of the things in your book, one of the recommendations I'm just going to read, as a general rule for shopping in grocery stores, stick to the outside aisles where whole, fresh foods are most often found. That's right. You know, I, I, I'm struck by that because, you know, most of the grocery store is made up of aisles and aisles of packaged foods that's probably been sitting there for a while with questionable nutritional value, I suppose. That's absolutely right. I mean, you do need to look for fresh foods. I mean, the first place you should hit is the produce section. And the first place in the produce section you should hit is the, you know, is the greens Mm-hmm. And after you've got your greens, you know, then you, you know, then you just you supplement that with some fruits um, to make sure that you have fruits and some root vegetables and things that, you know, that your child likes. But produce section is is where you go first and you make sure that you get those and that those are in those diets, you know, every single day. Dark green vegetables particularly? Dark green leafy vegetables. They're just, there's, there's nothing like more kale. important. And yeah, and you know, if your child doesn't like them, you really can disguise them in smoothies. I mean, you can make what looks like a purple smoothie, you know, and the child will never know that there's, you know, a handful of, you know, baby kale leaves in that, in that, in that smoothie. I mean, it, you know, it's going to look purple because you put blueberries in it or blueberries and raspberries or blackberries or whatever. And, you know, it, you can make it, make it taste absolutely delicious and completely disguise that there are greens in it. So what's your recipe for a smoothie? If you made a smoothie for a, a child that was, you know, or for any child... What's yeah, you your, know, what's your well, recipe? The, what you, you know, a you handful of it depends on what the child likes. If you have a child who likes a banana, wow, are you lucky? <laughs> because you know, bananas are great for smoothies. They really, you can do anything with a banana, you know, and you can use you know other things besides dairies. But if you are using dairy, I would recommend that you used uh, that you use uh, obviously a fermented form of it. You can use plain um, kefir, or you can use plain uh, Greek yogurt. 
Uh, and then when you add mango, frozen mango, frozen berries, uh, you know, a banana if you want, uh, and then some greens to it, you know, you're all set. You're all set. Yeah. Kids love it. Kids love it. And if kids are really only wanting to drink, especially kids who are undergoing chemotherapy, Mm. uh, you can actually get whole meals into a smoothie. Mm. I mean, you can put, you know, a little bit of... um, of uh, whey protein powder, you know, just plain or, you know, vanilla protein powder into a, into a blender with, uh, you know, with either a, bit, a little bit of almond milk or, you know, any kind of milk that you want. Coconut milk is also a good thing. A little bit of cacoa powder, you know, just unsweetened cocoa powder. And then all of a sudden you have something that tastes like, you know, chocolate banana smoothie. And, you know, it's easy to get down, and yet it's got that whey protein in it. It's got the coconut milk in it. It's got that cocoa powder and that banana. Mm. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of things that, that you can do to get around you know, either a child's likes or dislikes and a child's, you know, particular, you know, way of eating through various stages of their of their illness. One of the things you recommend here is to let your kids help make the food, right? Isn't I love a, that. Yeah. I mean, right? kids who who are chopping, you know, sit it's up on the up at the counter, you know, you get a, a stool so that they can they can be right at the counter level with you. And you get them to, you know, to chop food and, you know, chop vegetables and throw them into a soup pot or chop up, you know, vegetables and make a, a chili or a curry or whatever it is. They love it. They love it. It's a great activity. And you can talk about it. You can talk about, whoa, these are really good for you. And look at these beets, boy. Are they red? Look at your fingers now. You know, they turned red. Mm. You know, and it's it's... You know, it's an experience and an activity for children that's really, really important and that's really, really missing in children's lives today. Yeah, yeah. So you've also got a list in here of foods to avoid, uh, refined and concentrated sweeteners. I think that pretty much uh, speaks for itself. Didn't you tell me that if the if sugar was proposed as a food today, it would never be approved? By I the don't. FDA? I don't think it would be refined sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Refined because, white sugar. Because why? What's well, you know, sugar is just there's it. It creates so many problems in our body with so many different organs and so many different functions in our body. I mean, the ones that come to mind are you know our obesity and diabetes that follows that often, and heart disease, and you know it has to do with our hormones. Uh, it's just and it's you know it's it's bad for our guts. It's bad for our teeth. Teeth, you know, there are just so many things that sugar, uh, you know, can can do to raise havoc with our, you know, with our health. That it's just not worth it when you have things that that you can substitute for it. I mean, like I just I make everything now. If I bake, and I don't bake as much as I used to, but if I bake, I use coconut sugar, or more importantly, and I mean, I, I would love to use date sugar, which I use for my grandchildren because it's super expensive, or pure organic maple sugar flakes. Um, they're super expensive, but you know what? If you don't have baked goods very often and you make ones that are really, really okay for you, but that taste delicious, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. Sugar in, is, is in everything. Though, it's in Pat. everything. It's in it's breakfast in cereals, and it's pretty yeah. much in everything that our kids are eating. Sugar is one of it's the main ingredients. Absolutely. So how Absolutely, you, how and it you... comes in all forms. It's fructose and sucrose and, you know, a million different things and agave nectar. I mean, it's, it's, long, I mean, it's not a, 
It's not cane sugar, you know, and it's not beet sugar, highly refined, but it's refined sugar um, as well. It's a very highly concentrated sweetener. And then, of course, if people avoid, you know, sugar, because many people do, um, then they often switch to an artificial sweetener. And that's just as bad, if not worse, because you're talking about chemicals. You're talking about chemicals that, you know, that actually taste like something sweet, but in fact, um, they can also do tremendous harm, tremendous harm in the body. And artificial sweeteners should never be in children's diets, Mm. ever. Let's talk about oil for a second. I know we use olive oil. Um, Mm -hmm. What about some of the other oils that people use, you know, corn oil, soybean oil, sunflower oil? Yeah, well, you know, I I stay away from polyunsaturated oils. You want to go for the mono um, oils, and they are, you know, canola, but canola is problematic because so much of that crop is GMO now, genetically mm-hmm. modified, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's pretty highly refined. A lot of the, the a lot of the canola oil that you get, you certainly want cold pressed, unrefined of any kind of oil. But you know, if you really kind of stick to olive oil, really high quality olive oil, and people buy olive oil like they buy wine today, really mm-hmm. high quality you know, olive oil is the olive oil that, you know, that leaves that kind of spicy little, little, um, little bit of a, uh, a sharp tanginess, yeah, tanginess yeah. at mm-hmm. the end. It's not a tang. A it's a, it's a, it's a little bite. Mm-hmm. It's a little, little bite. Those are the best olive oils that you can buy. And you try to get them organic, of course, organic, you know, unrefined, unfiltered, um, cold pressed, first pressing virgin olive oil. Um, it's hard and it's expensive, so not everybody can afford it. Um, more and more people are, are using coconut oil, which is also a good oil. Um, and it's very good for baking. Um, and coconut oil is not, you know, is not bad for, you know, for sauteing things in, if, 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 especially if it's a recipe that, that you're going to add coconut to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's, it's just fine anyway. Um, but coconut oil is is not bad at all, especially for baking. Uh, and so then there's there's sesame oil. There's um, some of the nut oils, walnut oil, um, that are you know walnut oil and almond oil and so on. I want to go back to something you said before, which yeah. is you know people maybe people can't afford it. Uh, you know, I've heard you talk about if people only knew how to make soup, they could really save a lot. And I know soup can also be a nourishing and, you know, comforting, a, a comforting food yeah. for kids. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, if everybody in the world knew how to make soup, we'd, we'd be in a better place mm. as far as our health. And mm-hmm. if we ate it a couple, a couple of times a week, mm-hmm. you know, it starts with, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of, you know, olive oil sauteing vegetables in that. And then you just can add anything. You can add red lentils. You can add, you know, peas. You can add black beans. You can add white beans. And then from there, you throw a little bit of kale or tomatoes into that white bean soup. And all of a sudden, you have this wonderful kale and white bean um, soup that is just, you know, quite quite wonderful and delicious. But soup is fabulous. It's easy to make. It's fast. And it usually lasts two meals. So mm-hmm. you've got, you know, a, a dinner and then you've got a lunch the next day or you can put it in your kid's lunch to take to school. And it's just like so worth it. Just learn how to do it. Just and learn how to just chop vegetables in the morning while you're waiting for the water to boil or your coffee maker to make your coffee. You can probably chop an onion, 
couple stalks of celery, and two carrots. And then you're done. That's basically all you need to do. And then it's just adding the other stuff mm-hmm. to it that makes soup, including water or a little bit of broth. Yeah. And like smoothies, soup is easy to get down. Yeah, you know, and when you're not feeling well. And I suppose if it's a vegetable soup, you could puree. You can puree always puree, it, right? absolutely. If your kids don't like vegetables, that was the other thing I was going to say when I was talking about smoothies, is that you can actually hide all those nutrient dense vegetables in soup too, just by pureeing it. You know, we use a um, immersion an blender. immersion blender exactly. So oh. you know, it's just so easy, easy cleanup, easy to make. You know, a pureed soup, and everything just disappears. As you, you know, as you mix it up, you can't see a single vegetable, but you just have this wonderful, you know, this wonderful, fragrant, nutrient-dense soup to serve to your family. You're listening to Green Street, and my guest is Patty Wood, author of the book Helping to Heal, which was written as a book for the parents of children with uh, life-threatening illness. But as I think you can hear from our conversation, it really applies to anybody and any family and any child. Um, You've got a whole section in here about things to cook in and things to store food in. Right. It doesn't just stop at food. Yeah. It has to, how do you cook that food? Right. And how do you store that food? So exactly. it says, steam, don't boil, bake, don't fry. Right. We're really trying to get away from frying because of the acrylamide issue. Acrylamide is a um, is a pretty potent human carcinogen. It's a thing that actually is created. Acrylamide is created when you... Uh, when you cook carbohydrates at very high temperatures. Like French fries? Yeah, like French fries, like potato chips, like, you know, you know, all kinds of those fried foods. And also baked goods. I mean, baked goods that get really brown. So you're talking about cookies and breads and rolls and crackers and all those things. It's just, it, it has to do with carbohydrate, carbohydrates being cooked at very high temperatures. And, you know, not, I shouldn't say even very high temperatures, but just, you know... Cooked. And meat also, cooked right? Well. If you're cooking meat on the grill. Yeah, but that's different. Just... Acrylamide is only about the carbohydrates. That's okay. your that's the chemical that you're concerned about with um, you know, with baked goods and so on, especially potatoes. Um, but then when you're cooking out, then you're dealing with other things that um, that are formed when you are cooking things at very high temperatures. You really shouldn't eat anything that's blackened. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we're concerned about as commercial, you know, processors is uh, is the contamination of E. coli and salmonella, um, which, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes occur with meat and, and other things. Um, and it's, it's really, really important for children who have compromised immune systems to avoid um, any kind of contact with those, um, those um, you know, those disease-causing pathogens. But, you know, the high heat, the dripping fat and the smoke also expose, you know, cooking meat to toxic chemicals and, comp- and, and compounds. So you have to be concerned about that um, when you're grilling, broiling and frying, that you don't, you know, blacken things. It's really unhealthy. If you have mm. charred food in front of you, just scrape off those black sections before you mm. eat it. Mm. Too bad because kids love cookouts, you know, they love, uh, we're coming up on summer season. Kids love to have hamburgers and hot dogs and, Not just kids. (laughs) Okay. So, and then when you got leftovers, what do you do with them? You don't store them and you don't put them in plastic. Try not to put them in plastic. There's so much availability today in the storage. You can buy glass storage containers everywhere. Plastic is easier. It's like going back. I know plastic is easier. It's lighter. It doesn't break, but it's not suitable for food. 
Because? Because plastic, the plastics industry in the United States is practically unregulated. So, you know, the consumer really has very little knowledge about, you know, what they're buying and whether or not it has chemicals in it that they should be concerned about because it's not going to say it on the label. You know, this plastic contains, you know, vinyl chloride or yeah. this plastic contains BPA or whatever. A chemical you shouldn't be exposed to. Or a chemical that you shouldn't, <laughs> you know, whatever. Don't put food in this container right. yeah. when you're buying it in the grocery store. That's to unlikely. Put food in, right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... That's, you know, that's problematic. We shouldn't be eating or drinking out of plastic, period, um, because there are a lot of chemicals that are used in the plasticizing process to make it so that it doesn't crack, you know, when it's frozen, so that you can bend it and it doesn't break, uh, so that, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things, so that it's clear, so that it, you know, there's all kinds of qualities that the plastics industry is constantly trying to um, achieve well, it in makes their the, products. makes it more, more useful. And, yeah, you know. whatever. But the fact is that, that food and plastic should never be combined, hmm. period. You just shouldn't be storing food in plastic, and you certainly shouldn't be drinking out of it. So we recommend stainless steel. We recommend of the best is glass, although you do have the issue with, with, with breakage. But you know what? They're making really, really thick glass. And then a lot of the glass, they're actually wrapping with a silicone sleeve so that if it does drop, it's very unlikely that it breaks. I mm. mean, I've dropped a lot of those silicone-covered glass containers. Mm-hmm. None of them have Those are the broken. ones that have that, like, mesh covering on Yeah, it, kind of a plastic. mesh covering. Yeah, absolutely. A, a good use of you plastic. Can also, you can also store things in paper, believe it or not. You can get, just get butcher's paper. Of course, you don't want to get paper that is coated with, you know, a chemical called PFOA, which is, uh, you know, which is a chlorinated um, uh, or perfluorinated compound um, that actually leaches into the food. Um, this is a chemical that's a, that makes everything nonstick. It, you know, grease doesn't go through it. Water doesn't go through it. Um, but it's actually very, um, you know, it's very uh, mobile. In other words, it can actually migrate or leach into into food. So you want to make sure that if you get paper, and you know, and wax paper is actually perfect because you don't have to worry about wax paper. It doesn't have PFOA on it. They're using wax for that same purpose, you know, so that it's so that it doesn't, you know, leach, you know, s- grease through it or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so wax paper is great. And they even have wax paper sandwich bags, uh, wax paper, you know, everything today. So use wax paper or just get plain butcher's paper or, you know, paper that they use to wrap cheese in and so on um, that's uncoated if you can buy it yourself. And then you can wrap your, wrap your food that you want to store in your refrigerator, your leftovers, if it's a piece of cheese or if it's, you know, some meat or something. I want to talk about water for a second. <laughs> I think a lot of people... A lot of people buy bottled water because they're concerned about what might be in the water itself, but uh, bottled water comes in plastic bottles. Not all of it, but most of it, yes. Okay, that you can really seek out, like uh, Mountain Valley water comes only in glass. What about the gallon (laughs) containers, you know, that are kind of opaque plastic? Those are made from plastics that, you know, we we do not know um, whether or not the plastic sizing chemicals that are used in the manufacture of the plastic are actually leaching into the water. We do know that when it gets really warm, um, that the leaching is uh, considerably more. 
You can um, taste it. You can smell it. Yeah, you it. can taste it and smell it when you open up that bottle of mm. water. You can taste it in the water. Yeah. So let's say you decide not to drink bottled water. You're going to use the water from your tap. Can you filter out? Yeah, you can filter out most things. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. An an RO, reverse osmosis filter, is probably one of the best ones you can buy. Uh, That's a big unit that goes under your sink, It's a big unit that goes underneath your sink, and it's attached to a a special faucet. And, you know, that's probably uh, the way to go if you know that you're living in an area where there is some water contamination. Actually, I can't think of a single place in this country where there is nothing to be concerned about mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. with your water, unless you're living remotely and you have your own well and, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're surrounded on four sides by a national park <laughs> or a conservation area <laughs> or, the, or a mountain. So uh, something us- where, you know, where, there's, where we haven't been able to screw it up, <laughs> where, you know, humans haven't polluted the groundwater or the surface waters that you get your, your water from. Yeah. But there are other m- means besides the reverse osmosis. Yes, there's reverse osmosis. There's distillation. There's uh, there's actually something called structured matrix where they use a variety of um, filtration materials uh, like polymer fabrics and so on. And they also use uh, charcoal. And charcoal is you know you comes into its granular or its block uh, charcoal. Um, charcoal is good. It does a lot of uh, does a lot to uh, to purify water. Uh, the problem with charcoal is that, you know, water will find the path of least resistance. And so with both charcoal block filters and with the granular, the water will find the path of least resistance and it will just start channeling. It will always take that route. And it will just always take that route mm-hmm. and so that it will not have enough enough contact time with the carbon after a while. So if it's granular that you're using, you can stir it up, you know, regularly to make sure mm. that so that, you know, the water isn't um, isn't channeling. And with block filter, it's a little bit more problematic. Problem is that some of the chemicals in our water today that we are finding, uh, you know, cannot be filtered any way by individuals, by homeowners, that no matter what they do, they can't buy a filtration system that will take out things like 1,4-dioxane, and uh, and so that's uh, that's a little bit problematic. Yeah, I should say so. It's mm. absolutely problematic. Okay, personal care products. You have a whole section in your book about personal care products, cosmetics. Well, and yeah, so we on. all we all use them, and so we need to be careful about you know about what we put on our body. Well, a lot of kids, people right? don't understand exactly, especially kids. Um, they don't really understand that whatever you put on your skin will find its way into your bloodstream. And so if you're putting something on your skin that you, that you really don't want in your blood or in your, inside your body, it's something that you look at. If you looked at your, your, your jar of shampoo or your container of shampoo, you probably wouldn't want to drink it. Just you mean judging from the ingredients? Judging from the ingredients, you probably like, and it, 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 you don't want to take, you don't want to eat shampoo. But in fact, you know you're you're using shampoo on the thinnest skin on your body, and it's very absorbent. And um, so whatever you're using on your head is actually being absorbed, you know, by your scalp. What about things you actually spray on your skin, like um, mosquito repellent, things like that? Well, it's the same thing. I mean, no matter what you put on your skin, you have the issue of of absorption. So, what do you recommend if if you know? What do you put on your skin? You no, know what if you're talking about sunscreen or not sunscreen? But if you're talking about avoiding the sun, we you know we recommend number one, 
just blocking the sun through wearing protective clothing, barriers, barrier, 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 wear hats, wear sunglasses, wear long sleeve, you know, white shirts in the summer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you have to use a sunscreen, we recommend that you use a sunscreen that's got zinc, um, zinc oxide um, in it. Uh, And that actually kind of works as a barrier. It doesn't get absorbed readily into the skin um, just because it's a... um, you know, it's something that really sits on that's top the, of the. That's skin. the white stuff, right? That you put on your, you know, on your. Yeah, I mean. See lifeguards wearing it on their noses and stuff. Right, like that. that's the white stuff. It's like desitin. If you remember mm-hmm. the days of desitin, you can still get desitin, um, but you need to avoid chemicals like like PABA and TEA and DEA and parabens and titanium dioxide, blah blah blah, um, oxybenzone. These are, you know, these are chemicals that can actually do some real harm once they get into our bodies. So the barrier-type sunscreens containing zinc oxide are your safest choices. It leaves a white residue on the skin um, as long as it's not a nano-sized particle. And some of the manufacturers now, because people don't want to have white on their skin or white on their baby skin, I'm not sure why, um, they now buy products that are made... um, from these nano-sized particles, and mm. the safety of those are not is not yet proven. We just don't know whether or not those nanoparticles. I mean, we do know that they can be absorbed to the skin actually more easily than anything else. Um, but are they actually being absorbed once they get into our body, into our you know, into our brains, into our heart, into our other organs, and mm. so on? So it's. Um, you were mentioning before about uh, kids wearing long sleeve shirts. You know, in you can in swim in them. Actually, you know what the honest, the funny thing is. It actually keeps them cooler because if you swim in your shirt yeah. and then it, you know, it kind of, you know, acts as a, as a cool, you know, cloth on you. I was, yeah, I was noticing how quickly the kids get used to that. You oh, know, ve- at first it's like, quickly. I don't want to wear this shirt. And three minutes later, they, they're, in the you know, they're in the pool and they've That's forgotten right. all that they're wearing That's a shirt. Right. I mean, and you know, obviously if you're training for the Olympics, you know, you're not yeah. going to be wearing, but because you're going to be most likely in an indoor pool. And, and hey, the Olympics will just wear those body suits anyway. That's so, right, they do, don't yeah, they? Yeah, but, yeah, so. Okay, cleaning your house. This is another section of your book. You have a whole section on cleaning. Um, you know, uh, are cleaning products a problem and why? Well, cleaning products are problematic because, you know, you have to understand first that parents who have a child who's very ill, um, they want to make their home as clean and germ-free germ as sure. possible. That's yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but a lot of a lot of cleaning products, uh, you know, can really compromise our health, and especially because so many of them have fragrances in them. And so, you know, every time you're using a product to clean, you know, the entire air space in your home, okay, becomes polluted, really. So you're breathing that in. Yeah, these you are know, not natural flavors, natural scents, right? I mean, no, lemon no, no, scented. No, no, it's no, not. No, no, it has no. nothing Absolutely to do with not. lemons. You know, and there are a lot of products that you know that you that you that you should never buy. Those products that say danger, warning, caution, keep out of reach of children, because you know that they have very toxic chemicals in them that would be extremely harmful if a child got a hold of them. So. The bottom line is that those products, since they have these harsh chemicals in them, are probably not the best things to put on countertops or, you know, wash your dishes with or clean anything with. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so just, you know, there are a lot of things that our grandmothers use to clean our houses with that are completely non-toxic that still work sometimes better 
than these products that we buy in these huge half-gallon, you know, brightly colored plastic containers mm. in the grocery store. Mm. Like baking soda, white vinegar, lemon juice, you know, uh, borax, uh, washing soda, hydrogen peroxide, you know, just hot water. Salt water and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, salt and uh, and lemon juice. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I you used to clean, clean your copper, copper bottoms of your say, Revereware. I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I used to do that. Works yeah. like a charm. Yeah. But they're, they're, you know, the other thing to remember is that, you know, people live indoors a lot more than they live outdoors. So sure. you're talking about, um, you know, typical families spending more than 90% of their time inside their homes. Okay. And so sure. the, according to the EPA, that the indoor air can be 100 times more polluted than outdoor air. So when you're choosing cleaning products, especially things that are aerosols that become part of the air that you breathe inside your home, you really want to look for bio-based products. And bio-based products are things that, you know, are plant-based, mineral-based. They come from uh, forestry or marine products. And, you know, once they go down the drain, once you've used them and they've gone down the drain and they go back to the earth, they have done no harm to Mm -hmm. anybody in Mm -hmm. the process, Mm -hmm. to anybody Mm -hmm. or anything in that process. What about things like Febreze, you know, that you... Oh, for heaven's sakes. I mean, these highly artificially fragranced, you know, products that you're talking about, um, you know, these are really, really dangerous, okay, because they... They are intended to last for a long time. So not only do they have these petrochemical fragrances, which can be, you know, made up of, you know, a hundred different chemicals, but they also contain phthalates, small molecule phthalates. And those phthalates are are put in those those formulations for those products to make those scents last longer. Mm. And they really do last Mm -hmm. longer. Mm -hmm. But phthalates are endocrine disruptors. And, you know, an endocrine disruptor, as we know, from other conversations that we've had, and hopefully our listeners remember this too, but endocrine disruptors, even in the smallest amounts, can do significant damage. And when I talk about endocrine disruptor, I'm talking about, you know, about affecting hormones in your mm-hmm, body. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the endocrine system is, you know, is basically, you know, guiding a lot of different important body functions. We just think of endocrine or hormones as being sexual, but it has... It has everything to do with your body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and interrupting those that do- delicate chemical oh, balance is the balance is so slight. So even a small amount that you would not even consider harmful actually could have a significant impact. I think a lot of people, you know, do home remodeling from time to time. They put down new carpet. They buy new bedding. They paint the you know the walls and the ceilings and. Whatever, um, that can also be a, a health hazard, right? Yeah, but- and you know, I've been listening to the radio um, recently and hearing the ads for a, you know, healthy home builders. I don't mm. know if that's the name of the company, but I mean, basically they're saying, you know, we use construction materials that are healthy, you know, that don't contain chemicals that are going to stay in your new home or in your new addition of your home, you know, and make your family sick. Yeah. You know, we're being very careful about using products that don't contain formaldehyde, that don't off-gas, you know, different, you know, different chemicals. 
um, you know, out of a floorboard or not floorboard, but out of wallboard, out of, um, you know, paints and stains that we're using and, and various other construction materials, even, even insulation. I mean, you can use insulation that's non-toxic today. You know, that foam, you know, insulation is a little bit problematic. Because the stuff of the, that they spray it's in. It's spray in spray foam. In yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So, I mean, so they're, I mean, people are aware. People are more aware today than they have ever been. And for a variety of reasons. First of all, because they're reading more about it. They're not hearing a whole lot about it on the, in the news, you know, in the media. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are, they are understanding that, you know, there are more people with asthma and with allergies, and they're having more and more reactions, you know, unpleasant um, health effects from, uh, from these uh, exposures to, to just materials in our homes. And that includes, you know, decorating materials as well, not just construction materials, but it includes rugs, it includes draperies, it includes paints, it includes, you know... All kinds of things, paints and stains and kitchen cabinets that are made from, you know, from chipboard uh, as opposed to solid wood cabinets and mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are a lot more things to be, to be aware of. And then, you know, you have all, the, all these things that are required to be flame retardant. Um, that's crazy. I mean, you can make something flame retardant, you know, just by adding wool to it as opposed to adding a chemical flame retardant like a bromated uh, You're talking about furniture now mostly. I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about furniture mostly. And then you have to look at, you know, here we have gone kind of in the wrong direction. I hate to say this, but in the wrong direction as far as um, saving energy with with different light bulbs. Uh, So we so we went the route from our, our incandescents, which didn't right. last very long, okay? So we had to just keep replacing them. They used up a lot of energy, blah, blah, blah. So we went to compact fluorescence. Okay, so compact fluorescents were, were – they lasted a little bit longer. The light on them was really kind of harsh. They were fluorescent lights. That's compact yeah. fluorescent. Right. But they contained mercury. So right. then that became problematic, and people were like, eh, I, don't know, I don't like the look of it. I don't like the look that it doesn't go on right away. It takes a while for it to, you know, kind of ramp up, and, you know, it doesn't really fit in all my fixtures. It doesn't, you know, I have, a, I have lamps that have lampshades that, you know, that, that are designed to go over a bulb, a light bulb, you know, <laughs> the old incandescents, yeah. and all of a sudden I have this crazy-looking crazy spiral thing. And then we went to LEDs, and, you know— uh, LEDs are supposed to last a whole lot longer than either um, the incandescence or the uh, compact fluorescence. But the LEDs have a really weird light to them, especially mm. the white-blue light that comes off an LED. Um, those white and blue, um, you know, uh, light that's part of the as part of the 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 spectrum are really harmful to our eyes. They can do retinal damage uh, as well as, you know, throw off our, our sleep cycles and all kinds of things. And yet we are going 100%, okay, toward replacing everything with LEDs right now. And there's a lot of pushback. People who do their research, people who do their homework, understand that that blue-white, you know, wavelength or whatever it is. I'm, I'm not a scientist, but um, but you know what I'm talking about, mm, that mm. kind of harsh, sure. yeah. harsh lighting yep. that you get or that harsh feel that you get from an LED light is really not good for our eyes. Mm. It can do significant damage. Wow. Okay. I want to talk about probably what is the most controversial part of your book, which is the section that talks about electronics specifically 
wireless communications. Well, so we know that kids are sitting there in bed, and I the know. one thing that they got is they got their iPhone and their or their smartphone, right? Well, and if they're, they're older kids, playing yeah. games and they're communicating with their friends. Um, it's tough. This is a, you're you're talking about a really tough area. Yes, so, it is. Okay, very so. Tough. Um, so a little bit like the, like the, the lighting thing, um, but not exactly. I mean, this kind of rolled out without anybody really noticing that there, that, you know, there were no studies that were being done as to whether or not this could adversely impact humans. And in fact, this technology was around for a long time. And, uh, you know, we were actually using two-way communication, uh, using wireless uh, devices back in the 1960s and maybe even a little bit earlier in the military. And we did do studies then. The military did do studies because it was, at that point, an occupational exposure. So they were looking for whether or not this harmed people. And sure enough, they found that, well, that not only if you went clo- too close to a transmitter that you could actually burn your skin because, you know, microwave radiation, you know, gets hot. Right. Um, and you can actually feel that, I'm sure, if anybody has, you know, kept their phone to their ear long enough, which they should never do, by the way. But all of a sudden your ear feels really warm and your hand that's holding the phone feels really warm. That's well, uh, that's not un- uncommon. Let me stop you for a second and say we're talking about uh, – um Radio frequency radiation, mm-hmm. also, also known as microwave radiation, right, right? or wireless radiation, and, and and for many years the the transmission of signals was one way. It came That's off right. a broadcast tower somewhere, and you picked it up on your radio. That's right. You were only the, receiving. Yeah, and so ah, that was, and the your days radio, of only receiving <laughs> a signal. If your ah, radio got days. hot, it was because it was sitting in the sun, or because the tubes no, inside well, the got tubes warm. got hot exactly. But but it wasn't because. But what happened is when we got to two way communication, where now the device you were holding yeah. on to was actually, a transmitter. now it was becoming yeah. the transmitter. Yeah. That's when all the trouble started. That's right. The transmission of the, of the sound, your text, whatever it is that you're sending out of your device, yeah. that's where it becomes problematic. So, um, so we suggest in this book, if you have children who are sick and actually children who are in bed because they're so sick, um, that you install a landline phone. I mean, mm-hmm. there you have, mm-hmm. I mean, there are landline phones today that are very cool and very fun and, you know, and they're completely harmless, 100% safe What about the internet? Use. What about, what about okay. watching Netflix? Internet, what about Netflix, all those things where you've got to get a hardwired Ethernet cable. Just get it. Just get it and do it. Protect your child. It's the best way for your kid to use all of this technology today, to use the Internet, to be able to communicate with their friends. Just do it through the use of a hardwired computer, a hardwired pad, or whatever. If you do have a phone, keep the phone on airplane mode almost all the time. If your child is downloading something, let them download it, but put it away from them. Don't let them hold it right next to them while they're downloading because it's using a lot of, a lot of power to do that. Um, you know, it's really, it's really a tough one. We have to, we have to move beyond the technology uh, that is so exciting and so sexy today. I mean, all, everybody just wants a new device. You know, so we come out with a new device and everybody has to have it. 
They have to have it in the worst way. I mean, you know, I mean, you just have yeah. to have it. I mean, yeah. this is, and, yeah. and because, yeah. and how do we know this? It's just incredibly addictive. Sure. Incredibly addictive. Well, Patty, we're going to have to put this off for another show and come back and have you as a guest. Thank you so much for being here tonight. It's been, you know, for our, for our listeners, I think it's been an eye-opening experience. The book is called Helping to Heal. Uh, it's available on Amazon, I believe, right? Uh, by Patty Wood, and uh, or you can or you can just contact um, helpingtoheal.org. You've also yeah, you've got a website, right? There's um, a website, but the website is helping two with a number two heal.org. So it's helping number two heal. Dot org. And on there, you've got recipes and all kinds oh, of things. There's all kinds of stuff on there. We do yeah. a little bit more than we do in the book. We can always keep things updated on sure. the website. And then when we print new books, though, we always update the books at that point. So yeah. this book, if you know of anybody who's involved um, with childhood cancer associations or organizations or hospitals, and they would like to have these, these are made available free at these facilities. Um, these would be accredited institutions. Uh, and that's what we do. Yeah. We just make this information available to parents. It's kind of a gift to parents who are looking for something proactive and very positive to do to become partners, you know, with uh, with the healthcare professionals in their child's healing process. Okay. Thanks, Patty. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street. I'm Doug Wood. Thanks for listening. <laughs>